This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at Trustmark.com mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. There are some new rules in 2020 that will affect your retirement plans. The SECURE Act is our topic today. It affects required minimum distributions and workers without employer-sponsored retirement plans. As always, though, we'll take any personal finance question that you have for so give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Also joining us from New Perspectives, Joseph Martin. So we've got the entire brain trust here this morning. So good morning to everyone. Let's, let's hope we're clicking on all cylinders. I'm not sure. <laughs> um Halfway through the first month of 2020, are we getting any sort of year-end reports that we look back and see what happened in 2019, financially speaking? Well, we know the the stock market was quite good. Um, S&P 500 was up 28%, and um, we all enjoyed those nice double-digit returns. But uh, we're trying to tamp down those expectations for this year, even though people are starting off fairly optimistic. Um, I get a little nervous when people get this optimistic. Uh, I think I was mentioning I was just down over the holiday weekend at the beach in the Florida beach and what I was noticing down there is the real estate market is getting pretty frothy so that makes me a little uh, nervous about uh, bubbles overall. Uh, did you have to go through Pensacola with the new the new bridge? Um, I, you know, when I cross a bridge, I try to just look at my phone because I don't like those high bridges, and I just let my husband drive over. So I don't I was remember. Say, I hope you're not driving over. No, those I'm and, not. I'm not. trying to avoid. This is one where it's uh, it goes across Pensacola Bay, I think, but it's going to be eventually a two span bridge. But they only have one of the spans done. So what's intended to be a one way only bridge is actually two ways, and so it's very narrow lanes. No, so I would have like remembered bridges, that okay, right. if you didn't like bridges before. You'll hate yeah, this, this one. one that it really, I mean, it, it's it's quite nerve wracking because the lanes are narrow, and then in the center lane uh, there is a center lane. So if you have some sort of accident, you're supposed to get into the center lane. Well, they've got those little orange, not barrels, but those little stick things. Mm-hmm. And my thought, at first of all, is maneuvering in there. A and then B. If you're in the outside lane and you get in an accident, how you're going to get into the center lane? I don't know. But um, I, I have been known to have my husband drive hours out of the way to avoid. Yeah. Some- I'm not a big fan of, of bridges either. I, I always just envision the bridge collapsing and plunging. Yeah, into me too. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. We're both we, real we've tried therapy, but no. <laughs> All right. What about uh, financial news in the news? Uh, well, something I was just thinking about uh, and then heard the report about the census just starting. That's always kind of an interesting one for the economy. It's every 10 years. And it involves, uh, even though, you know, you can, I believe you can do it online now. Uh, they mail you the census that you can you can just mail back. Um, but they still do hire a lot of census takers. Oh, and good job. It's, yeah. it's you know, 
federal job. Um, so, and, and a lot of times, uh, folks being hired for this, you know, are kind of uh, underemployed folks anyway. A, a lot of folks, it's like a part-time job in their retirement, um, or, you know, they weren't working much anyway, um, because, you know, you, you have to walk around and knock on people's doors and, you know, fill out the forms. Um, but that's always interesting for to see how, how, the, how the labor market is affected, um, especially now when we are seeing very, very low unemployment. Um, and, and folks who traditionally might have been census takers have been sticking around in their jobs longer. Um, so seeing where those people come from and uh, how that affects uh, other kind of low wage and you know part-time work is going to be in seasonal work is going to be interesting. And I love the census. Uh, I think if you're an investor, you should love the census because it tells us so much. So much stuff. Um, you know, it tells us how we are living, um, tells us about an aging population, mm-hmm. where that population is moving to. What mm-hmm. we've seen in Mississippi is very slow growth, um, but uh, within the state, our population has congregated at these centers, and we're going to see more and more of that. Um, so it's so interesting to see us as we uh, move around the country and the areas that are going to win and those that will lose. Yeah, and, and speaking of just the demographic data, you can get really great data from the census. I mean, you, you can just download massive amounts of data. I mean, down to the, you know, you know how old is, you know, by one or two year ranges, how old are people in uh, in a state? So you can see, you know, you know, where where's population peaking? Uh, what um, what age are people who are leaving? We talk about the brain drain a lot in Mississippi. Um, you can see, you know, you can see, you can verify. Do we have fewer young people than we used to? Uh, do we have fewer young people than, you know, the national average? Uh, things like that. It's incredible data. And, and like Nancy said, all data, you know, that informs uh, our understanding of the economy. Well, because population drives economic activity. Right. you got to have people yeah, gotta to have, have people. the economy. Uh, those are customers. And in particular, uh, younger population. Uh, tend to drive the economy more, um, especially if you're in that 30s to 40s age range, because that's when you're spending more. And a little forward promotion next Tuesday on In Legal Terms, uh, Liz Gill and Professor Gershon will be talking about the census. So you can hear In Legal Terms every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock right here on MPB Think Radio. Got an early caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Michael in Hattiesburg. Michael, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Yes, I'm calling. um, My wife did not work last year. I worked part year. Uh, I had a 401k at the place where I was employed. I'm calling. Can my wife, can I do a a spousal IRA for my wife, and how much is the limit? You should be able to. Um, Do you have somebody who helps you with your taxes? I do. Okay. Um, check with that person, first of all, to see, you know, do you qualify for a traditional IRA, which means you could get a tax deduction, or you might want to go with a Roth IRA. And how old is she? She turned 65 this past year. Okay. So as long... 66 this past year. Excuse me. Yeah. I, I believe as long as somebody in the household has mm-hmm. earnings, you should be able to contribute, even the spouse who does not earn through the spousal IRA. And 6000 right, writer? For uh, it'll last be, year? It'll be 7000 7000 yeah. this year. Um, yeah. And, and so I was... For 2019? Yeah. For t- no. 2019 is still... 6,500, is it not? Oh, okay. I believe it was 7,000. 
Is it seventh? We'll, we're going to have we'll to check this. Check we're out. having some disagreement uh, here. Yeah, okay. and I'll say just a couple of things that do determine eligibility for uh, an IRA. And, and, and I'm kind of assuming here you're talking about a traditional IRA, but we could be talking about a Roth IRA. Um, if you are covered uh, by a 401k, uh, so for instance, if both spouses were working and were covered by 401ks, your eligibility to deduct uh, for an IRA is a little bit lower. Um, they have, I believe, the uh, TCJA uh, from a couple of years ago adjusted the income uh, limits where, you know, you know what, what income can you be to be able to put money in? So it's now like it's like $193,000 for a couple. Um, but yeah, the spousal IRA is available in general, uh, in general to folks who uh, whose spouses work, um, but they do not have income. They can still do a spousal IRA. Uh, but your only things I'm a little uh, unclear on is is if you, the availability of your 401k is going to affect that for her. And what have you found, Well, Nancy? you know, it pains me to say this, that Ryder was right. <laughs> um, it's uh, 6000 up to age 50. If you're mm-hmm. 50 or older, you can add another catch-up of 1000 for $7,000. Yeah, and, and that's something that got adjusted fairly quickly, fairly recently. So, you know, that was something that was $5,000 for a, a number of years, and then it was a really big deal when they bumped it up another 500 bucks. Um, and then they just bumped it up another $500. And, you know, it was a little less hullabaloo over that. Um, but also for this year, your 401k, I believe, has gone up uh, by another 500 bucks. So. Okay. All right, Michael, we appreciate your call. And, Nancy, I will say you were very quick to find the answer on your phone. So as a consolation prize. Oh, is that what I get as a consolation prize? Yeah, yeah. I've I've lost my phone. That's right. We yeah, heard about that that's morning. right. Literally moments before I got here. Can you imagine? I can't imagine a, a millennial who doesn't know where his phone is. I, unlike people from other age brackets, am not addicted to my phone. Ah, uh, yeah. I lose my phone all the time, but it's due to memory loss, not because I misplaced or anything. But uh, um, So we're going to be talking about the SECURE Act today. So before we go to our first break, um, and by the way, that stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. I'm so tired of acronyms for That's all these laws. That's a stretch. Let me yeah, tell you. They really had to because stretch to This get has to that nothing one. to do with anybody's community. It's all about like, it's all about your IRA, right, which is, has nothing to do with communities. All right, so that's it. So real briefly there, a, a quick overview of what the SECURE Act is about. Anything else? Oh, oh for us? Oh, so there's a, a handful of changes to IRAs. Um, you know, I, I know we're going we're gonna to hit these a little harder in a little more detail. But the question is, is it really significant? Um, there so, are a few things. So there's a, there's a couple of nice things in there, I would say. You know, one thing is uh, folks, uh, older folks who are still working can contribute to an IRA and get a deduction for that. That's something they haven't been able to do before. And more and more people are doing that. And that's uh, they may retire yeah. from one job and then Absolutely. work at another job. Absolutely. There is a really, really insignificant change uh, that is uh, silly that they change the age from which you take required minimum distributions. This kind of reflects the fact that, you know, while overall life uh, expectancy from birth has decreased, life expectancy from age, say, 65 has actually continued to to go up a little bit. Um, and then let's see, th- there is a fairly big change with uh, beneficiary IRAs. If you inherit an IRA from somebody else, it used to be you could take your whole life to take money out, um, but now you only have 10 years, which if it's a significant size IRA, that's going to be a, a big uh, tax hassle for you. 
but we'll get to that later, and I can kind of do some examples there. Right. We're going to delve into various aspects of the SECURE Act throughout the hour, but we're also looking for your personal finance questions. It is time to take our first break. If you have a question that you need answered, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Now, Nancy's on the line. She has a reputation for always guessing the correct answer on our little teaser question. So the one that we're starting out with is, do you participate in a workplace retirement plan? What percentage of the population does? Is it 77%, 66%, or 55%? We'll have that answer for you after the break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss part of the show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org to listen again. You can also download the MPB Public Media app so you can listen to all of the shows on MPB Think Radio on your uh, schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, also joined by Joseph Martin from New Perspectives. So it's the, the three amigos, I guess, or we'll have to come up with a catchy Oh, uh, please, name. please call us something besides that, really. Yeah. Um, well, like I say, colleagues. <laughs> Gee, that's real exciting. <laughs> the three colleagues. Okay, we'll we'll work on that. We'll okay. maybe come up with something. We have a week. lot to workshop after this session, guys. <laughs> uh, by the way, according to data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics published in 2018, Nancy, what percentage uh, of adult population participate in a workplace workplace retirement plan? I'm going to guess 55. percent And again, you are right. So, and you know, that's just a little over half. Right. And that really worries me about the other half. We've got another caller on the line. So let's uh, talk to Jody, who's called in from Clinton. Good morning, Jody. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. I'll try to be fast. Uh, I retired. I have a thrift savings plan, and I I have decided that I want to purchase a piece of property, so I'm going to take out um, a considerable amount. Well, for me, it's considerable. Uh, And I was told that I was by two tax people just you know like this just random uh information that i would need to pay 20 percent tax because uh naturally i didn't pay tax when the money was taken out of Mm -hmm. out of my payroll uh then i hear on the same time google and amazon don't pay taxes and it just to me 20 percent of 
it'll be over two years. One hundred fifty thousand is I, I can't comprehend. I mean, mm-hmm. so no. so why Does are you sound reasonable? Well, first, let me ask <laughs> you: Why are you taking money out of thrift savings plan, which is tax deferred money, meaning every penny you take out is taxable income? Do you have no other resource to buy this property? I could get a loan. Why don't you? Yeah, that would so, that would make more sense. Okay, okay good. I'm liking this <laughs> because because twenty percent is just oh my god. Well, here, okay. and here's the thing about that twenty percent. That twenty percent is just I mean that's just an estimate. Um, you know, depending on what your total income situation and you know how you're filing and your taxes. And if you're talking one hundred fifty thousand, it could be in the thirty percent range. It could, you could bump into a higher exactly. range. What makes it? You know, for folks, you know, and, and we totally understand. You know, in retirement, you know, you don't want to have these big debts looming over you. But what might make more sense is uh, to take out a loan because, again, you can get a mortgage for like three and a half percent. Like that is way cheap compared to 20, 25, 30 percent on your TSP withdrawal. So you can get a loan and then you can make smaller withdrawals um, to pay that down a little more aggressively. Uh, so, you know, instead of taking out one hundred fifty thousand dollars in one year or two years, you know, splitting that up over five or ten years to pay down a loan more aggressively. That might keep you in a lower tax bracket. Um, so that might that might keep that overall cost much 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 lower. Um, I mean, without knowing you know exactly what your income is and how that's going to change and how you're filing, and I don't have my handy dandy spreadsheet to do all the calculations. But <laughs> but but the idea being, you know, keep your withdrawals as long as you can control them. Keep them in as low a tax bracket as you can. Um, and you know, I mean, there's obviously a balancing act with all the interest you're going to be paying in the future, but that. That tax, that's a that's a lot of money that you're not really getting so you're not getting return on that land for Are that. you a federal employee? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought when you said thrift savings plan. So you have a pension? I do. Okay, so you have guaranteed income that you can put on a mortgage application, which will make you appealing. So I would tell you, go through that mortgage process first. You'll want to put down 20%. On the which total, would be my fifty thousand. Oh, yeah. right, okay. which is a whole lot smaller than the full amount of the purchase price. But I think you would be a, you know, have a good shot of getting an approval. You, I owe you both lunch, or all three of you actually. Okay, thank we'll you. take you I'm up on it. That. Yeah, check that out. Oh, thank you so very much. Bye bye. Good luck, uh, Kevin. Thanks, Jody. Kevin wants to know: Is he the third person getting lunch, or is Joseph the That's third right. person getting we'll lunch? We'll have to work we, that out. We have questions. Um, okay, so we're, we're talking about the required minimum distribution. If you can, uh, so again, to give sort of an overview, uh, r- remind us what that is and how the Secure Act is changing. Well, the required minimum distribution is a calculation, and it's based on the value of your retirement accounts, all of the accounts put together on the last day of the previous year. So, what we're doing with our folks is we look back at. Whoops, we're taking a break now. No, I can keep going. So we look back at what um, someone has in retirement as of 1231. What is the value? And then we look at the IRS tables. They have a life expectancy table based on a person's age, and that's our divisor. So whatever their total value is divided by that number, that's what you have to take out the next year. If you don't take out that required minimum distribution, there is a 50% penalty. And the idea behind that is the IRS... Let us have tax-deferred accounts and get tax breaks on the front end, but eventually they want their money. 
wow, a 50% penalty. That's a, that's a large. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, so that's something you need to pay attention to for sure. Um, what about a stretch IRA? What is that and how is it being well, affected? Well, let, let's back up and talk about the, the change in the time you have to take out the required minimum distribution. Right. So previously, and this was uh, everybody's least favorite number, but my favorite age is uh, when you were 70 and a half, you had to start taking money out of your IRA. So that's, as as Nancy said, you got the tax break your whole working life. Now you're retired. um, And they kind of picked, you know, after 70 is when everyone's going to be retired. Um, But 70 and a half is the year in which you are mostly 70. They're like, okay, that's when you have to start taking money out. And that's when you have to start paying taxes on all that. Um, so they have pushed that to 72 now. Uh, people will like that because it's a nice round number. Uh, if you had already started taking money out last year, if, if last year was your first year of RMDs, then too bad you're, you're stuck on that path. I mean, it was, it's only a year difference at this point anyway. Um, but if you were turning 70 and a half this year and anticipating starting your RMDs, you get to wait another basically a year, um, possibly a year and a half. So uh, that, that's the idea with them moving it from 70 and a half to 72 in, in recognition of people living uh, just a little bit longer. And the big advantage, of course, is that um, it, that changes your taxable income. And we have to consider that with people drawing money out. In some cases, people have to draw out. They're using it for income. But in other cases, it's just a matter of I'm required to do it and I have plenty of income elsewhere. And we just have to say, I'm sorry, that's the law. Yeah, and so what you were talking about, the stretch IRA, we're talking about beneficiary IRAs. So we're talking about uh, if you inherit an IRA from somebody else, um, and this is not, you know, this is fairly common, um, uh, to inherit an IRA, what you used to be able to do, you used to be able to stretch those withdrawals over your entire lifetime. Because the act of inheriting it, you're still inheriting a tax-protected account. Um but of course, you know, like the IRS wants, they want their they want their money back. So uh, they d- would require you to draw it out, and you could pick f- anywhere from you could withdraw it all in day one, which would be a huge taxable thing. Just like we uh, talked with Jody just there, uh, taking out a large amount at once could bump you into a much higher tax bracket, and you'd have to pay a ton of taxes. Or you could stretch it out over your entire life, uh, and that's you know at the actuarial calculation based on how many years. Kind of remaining, you know, predicted in your life. And so what they have ended the stretch ability of that and said, everyone just has to withdraw it all within 10 years. Now, understand this is for non-spouse beneficiaries. So if you're a spouse and you inherit an IRA, those it just rules, becomes yours. Yeah, it becomes your IRA. Those rules don't apply. This would be the case of usually it's when children inherit and you're, you're facing this situation of I have to start drawing out and I'm going to have taxes to pay. All right. So uh, Gary, who sent us a uh, Twitter question, asked about the tax implications for children who inherit IRAs. And that that is that they now have 10, ten years, years yeah. to get it all to out. To get it all out. Uh, I, I will say minor children do not have the 10 years. They can uh, their 10 years, I believe, starts when they reach the age of majority. Um, and that is done by state. Um, you know, some places it's 18, some it's 19, 21, uh, whatever. So, um so yeah, they minor children do have a a little bit more room to play with, but that's just because, I mean, they're minors. So, 
And so, again, if they don't do it within the 10 years, do they get that 50% penalty again? Or Yeah, that's how it would work. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is something that, obviously, uh, you need to pay attention to. Well, and you need to work with um, your tax professional, your CPA, mm-hmm. um, to get a help with how you draw this out and make sure you uh, comply with the new laws. And, and also with that 10 years, uh, I'm fairly certain on this, is you just kind of, it's any time within that 10 years. Uh, while, of course, it makes most sense to break it up over 10 years, uh, you know, if you just wanted to wait until year 10 and just take it out all at once, that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, just know that that's probably going to be terrible for your tax situation. But that does make it a little easier for folks who maybe, you know, aren't familiar with the rules, don't really have all their planning down. Um, They do have a little bit of time to figure it out. And as Ryder mentioned, you know, it's not that big of a deal if what you're inheriting is a smaller amount. But we've had this huge change moving away from pensions, where Mm -hmm. now more and more people have really large uh, 401ks, and they're passing these on. And so the larger the account, the more you have to think twice about how you take that money out. Yeah. And I guess a byproduct of this particular change would be an increased revenue from taxes because more people are there having less well, time. Well, it's compressed. To, right. Yeah. Well, yes. And also and also because that's bumping them, more likely to bump you into a higher tax it, bracket. It would, yeah. So, you know, for a given income withdrawing over your lifetime, you know, say you're, say you're like 40 years old, you're probably going to start withdrawing 2% a year. Um, but if you have to withdraw 10%, that amount could easily, much more easily be something that bumps you into a higher tax bracket. Okay, uh, we need to take another break. We've got Michael waiting on the line in Hattiesburg uh, with a question. We'll get to his question after this break. Uh, and if you have a question this morning about your personal finance or about the SECURE Act, you can give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 or you can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. How much money do you have in your 401k? Do you think that's average? Do you have close to 102000 or 58,000 or 31,000. We'll tell you what folks 65 years of age and older have in their 401k when we get back. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds their Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Also joining us in studio, Joseph Martin from uh, New Perspectives. So we have the terrific trio with us here in okay, studio. Okay, we'll take yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, Vanguard, the wealth management giant, uh, revealed that early in 2019, the median... 401k balance for those age 65 and older is, Nancy, take a guess. Oh, wait, I was looking at something else. The, the choices were 102,000, 58,000, or 31,000. For how old? Um, 65, 65 and, and older. older. Nancy. Okay, I'm going to go 102. Uh, no. 
$58,035. All right. You're off the show, Nancy. Well, Sorry. But, <laughs> but I'm going to say this. It's in my defense, um, older people are more likely to have the old pension plans. So you don't have as much accumulated in a 401k. They've got other sources. Yes. Okay. Hopefully. Right. Okay. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Michael's on the uh, line from Hattiesburg. Good morning, Michael. Go ahead. Hello again. Yes. Uh, I've got two questions. One, that 10-year span for an inherited IRA, for those of us who had already inherited an IRA, does that kick in on us? And does no. It- it does not. Okay. And then the second question is, with a inherited Roth IRA, do my children, if they get that, would they have to do that within 10 years? There are no RMDs with a Roth, right? Yes, there are RMDs on an inherited Roth IRA. But here's the thing with a Roth IRA, they don't pay taxes on it. It's just, right. they just okay. have so to was, take it out. Next question. Okay. Yeah, and, that, and, and that's mainly just to keep uh, keep that you know pile of money from sitting in that account forever and ever and ever. Um, but, okay. and that also means that if we're facing this rule change and your beneficiaries are not going to be a spouse, yeah. that mean, means the strategy of Roth conversion makes a lot more sense for folks to go ahead and do that while they're living, convert those traditional IRAs to Roth IRAs so that Mm -hmm. your beneficiaries don't have that tax issue. Yeah, because they won't have that opportunity once it's a beneficiary IRA. Right. All right, Michael, thanks for calling back. Uh, God, we could help you out this morning. If uh, you are listening and have a question about personal finance or specifically about the SECURE Act and retirement, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email money at mpbonline.org. And so while we're talking about inheriting IRAs, it's something that came up in the break is, you know, I say I inherit a $100,000 IRA. I'm just using that because it's going to be... Nice round numbers. Um, so I now it, it used to be so I am I am thirty something and so my life expectancy is probably like it's probably like another fifty years. So I would have to start if I had inherited it last year. I would have to start taking money out probably at the tune of about two thousand dollars a year. Not going to be a huge impact on uh, my tax situation. Unlikely to bump me to a higher tax bracket. Uh, so not a big deal tax wise. If I inherit it this year, I have to take out. You know, my best case scenario is taking. Out ten thousand dollars a year, uh, and, and that's a that's a good bit more. I'm going to end up paying a good bit more taxes, and so you can see how those taxes flow back to the treasury a lot quicker uh, with this ten year rule. Now the question is, can I use that money, that $10,000 a year, and put it in an IRA of some type? Uh, No, that does not count as earned income. You have to have earned income to put money into an IRA, and that's just inherited money. Now, if I had been making money, but just, you know, my budget wasn't in order such that, you know, I couldn't have the money left over at the end of the year to put in an IRA, I mean, yes, that's fine, as long as it's earned income that's flowing into the IRA. And same with a 401k. Say I had a a workplace plan, you know, I could immediately bump up my 401k contributions um, and just replace, you know, because, again, once I take that $10,000 out of of the beneficiary IRA, I can do whatever I like. I can spend it. I can put it in another investment account. I can just stick it in the bank account. I can do whatever. I just can't directly put that into an IRA or 401k. 
And you're still going to be uh, subject to those annual contribution limits for IRAs, which we've already determined is seven thousand dollars if you're fifty or older, and six thousand if you are under. Yeah, and, and one question we get a lot with uh, folks inheriting an IRA, because of course you know inheritance, you know, it, oftentimes it's not money that we expect. Uh, you know, if you are already in decent financial shape, it's not necessarily money that you need. Um, so folks using it just to bolster their their investments in other places, you know opening an individual or a joint taxable account with you know their spouse and just letting that money grow and and it's just a different uh, a different account type that they can access also what I'm getting it sounds like nothing gets grandfathered in with this it's pretty much if you were under the old system last year that's fine but now that there's this we're just sort of yeah. starting fresh and going forward from it's this a, point it's a whole new world Kevin all right uh, what about the secure act as it relates to changes in 401k plans that concern annuities anybody have any Well, they're allowing them to include those annuities without as much um, oversight from the trustees or plan sponsors who act as fiduciaries, um, which does concern us a little bit. Um, If you've listened to our program, you know we're not fans of annuities. And the act of an annuity, which means just a constant stream of payments, is often a good thing. I mean, that's what a pension is. The problem with these package annuities is they typically have um, very high expenses every year, plus they have constraints on them. So a lot of people put their money into an annuity within a an employer plan and don't realize they can't draw it all out at once. Typically, it's 10% a year. Okay, so a lot of folks uh, deal with student loan debt or might incur it in the future. What about the SECURE Act and 529 plans? Well, you can use money in a 529 plan to pay off student debt. And, um, you know, I don't know how many people have 529 plans who already have student debt they're worried about because 529s are pretty new. Um, they haven't been around a long time, but as we move forward, that may be the case. Um, but if you have money in a 529 plan, why wouldn't you have used it on the front end? That would be my question. So I, I think there are a couple of, and, and here's an answer for you, Nancy. I think there are a couple of good planning tactics with this. One, if you make too much money to get the federal uh, tax break on student loan interest, then routing your student loan payments through a 529 is going to save you state tax, which is some thing you hadn't been able to do before at all. And, and, this, and the student loan interest deduction was was uh, fairly minor, and it, and it phased out at about $60,000, um, and maybe just slightly more for a couple. It was, it was kind of a weird uh, but small uh, thing. And another planning uh, way to do it is a lot of times grandparents uh, set up 529 plans. And if a grandparent sends money from a 529 plan to a student, then it affects their eligibility for financial aid. Some of that financial aid package is going to be student loans. And so it kind of affects what what loans they can get, what grants they can get, etc. So if they end up with, you know, if, if they end up taking money out of the the 529 that their grandparent has for them uh, while they're in college, then they may end up getting uh, 
a less good financial aid package. So if instead they, you know, accept the financial aid package, accept the loans throughout their schooling, and then in their last, well, now it's the last two years, but in their last year, towards the end of it, then they start taking money out, and then they start using that money for repayment, then it doesn't affect their financial aid. So that's just a little bit of planning strategy they can have. Um, it's This is kind of stuff at the margins, but yeah, it is stuff that it makes really sense. Yeah, it really is. Well, it, and it is uh, because it is an issue for uh, parents to tr- grandparents to try to pay for a grandchild's uh, college it makes it it makes it a little more attractive for the grandparent to wait until they're out of college to help pay them back instead uh, which, which was an issue that we dealt with a, a good bit. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're concentrating most of our discussion this morning on the SECURE Act. But if you have any sort of personal finance question that you need answered, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Are there benefits for those who are going through the birth or adoption of a child in the SECURE Act? That one I don't know about. Yeah, um, Do we know? Yes. Uh, so there are, you, you can now take a small amount out, uh, $5, up to $5,000 for a qualified birth or adoption distribution. Um, so this is. Yeah, it says here you don't um, you don't have the 10% early withdrawal penalty, but I would assume would you still have to pay taxes it's on still, it. It still counts as taxable income. I mean, all of these little exceptions, and there are a few small exceptions. I mean, you know, for. Uh, IRAs have already, you've been able to take out uh, $10,000 for um, for a first-time home buyer. You've been able to take out some money for um, for education expenses, I believe. And uh, I believe there might have been a medical expense one, too. But this one just adds another one. So, you know, everyone wants to make their taxes uh, simpler. Well, let's make them more complicated and add a couple more bullet points and with this one. I will have to say, um, after uh, our family's experience, uh, 5000 for an adoption is a drop in the bucket. All right. Uh, Time for our last break this hour. We've been talking this hour about the SECURE Act, a new law in 2020 that changes rules for retirement and savings. But we're also looking for personal finance questions as well. So give us a call if you have one. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Finish the old accounting expression. Tax laws are written in blank. We'll have that answer for you after you get back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me on the show each week are healthcare professionals who add their expertise to the discussion. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. 
Welcome back to Money Talks on MTV Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Also from New Perspectives in the studio with us is Joseph Martin. So again, it's the terrific trio each Tuesday morning here on Money Talks. So uh, we, after the revision of retirement rules recently, a number of money managers have brought out an old accounting expression, tax laws are written in... I thought it would be something pencil. dramatic, like blood. Oh, I thought we were going to say it together. But it's Sorry. pencil, yeah. Yeah, because they change all the time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So nothing, nothing. What did we guess? I, I thought blood. What, what were some of the other guesses? We were doing like Greek, <laughs> I, gibberish. I went, I went with Latin. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, they're written in pencil. So the lowly pencil. Which is why a, you really need to stay abreast of those laws. And if there's keep something. Keep your eraser handy. Exactly. <laughs> if there's something you have a problem with, um, you know, um, go after some policy changes. We've got another fo- uh, caller on the line. We'll say good morning to Daryl from Memphis. Go ahead, Daryl. You're on the air with us. Good morning, Money Talks family. How's everyone this morning? We're good. Doing well. Good morning, Daryl. Good. Listen, I just wanted to share an experience with you, and uh, I wanted to call earlier when you all were discussing this, but I wasn't able to. Look, um, I had opened up a full one route with my employer. Mm-hmm. And money was being taken out, so one day I decided to go and check on the progress. And uh, actually, I was hinted at this by one of the representatives of the firm that handled it. So I went in and looked at it and found out that I was being charged fees. And fees were more than what I was putting in. So I discontinued doing that. Wow. So I just wanted to let the listeners know before they open up a 401k through through their employer, or if they do it on their own, please check the fees first. Um, Fees are critical. That's so important. And what you need to do, if if you're a participant in a 401k plan, you don't have a lot of say-so. You're limited to the, the plan they've set up, the fee schedule that they have negotiated for. But those people have fiduciary responsibility. They have responsibility to, to get the best fee schedule based on the size of the plan. Mm-hmm. They should be negotiating. And so if you have a problem with it, you need to go to those plan sponsors, whoever signed that paperwork, and say, mm-hmm. you need to find a better plan because it's affecting them as well. Okay. And and if you're still unhappy with that, because it's usually the best place to start saving for retirement is through your employer plan. That's what most of us yeah. do. But if it's still a problem with you, you can start your own um, traditional IRA or Roth IRA outside of that. Yes, ma'am. That's what I've done. As a matter of fact, before I even started that, I was doing that. Uh, that is, in, uh, uh, making contributions to my own. That's great. So, so I'm... I'm as happy as a lark in the springtime. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, and, and that's important because, you know, the important thing is getting started saving, getting started, getting in the habit of putting money away, investing it for the long term. And if your companies, and so for a lot of folks, the first time they kind of are exposed to that, the first time they really feel they have an opportunity is at their employer plan because they're making money and it, it's just easy. But um, and, and we've seen plans get better and better in recent years, but you still see some. Uh, like yours apparently was that just has very high fees. Uh, you know, maybe it's being charged annual or even monthly fees uh, just for service on that account, um, and that's really unfortunate. Um, 
you know, a lot of folks, the employer, you know, does cover some of the fees in a 401k. And so that's what makes them more a more affordable way to save for some people. But it's not always the case. All right, Daryl, thanks for the call this morning. Good to hear from you. Uh, and that's also a reminder, obviously, if you're in um, something, a 401k like this, don't just, you know, trash the statement without pay looking at it. Pay attention to that, yeah. yeah. yeah and um, don't just pay attention, but go to those plan sponsors, your employers, uh, let them know you're noticing. Mm-hmm. and ask them to negotiate. And what you find in a lot of plans, because I've uh, served on retirement committees, that if you don't ask, they're not going to lower their fees. But if you start asking, then they're going to make the calculation of whether it's worthwhile for them to discount, to hang on to you, or let you move your plan. And and I will say that 401ks, the way they're set up, they usually do, they're set up, to generally speaking, to encourage um, all, as as much participation as possible. Um, just the way that uh, the tax break is allowed for the kind of higher, highly compensated individuals in the in the firm, uh, it kind of depends on participation by the p- folks who make less money. So uh, they should be willing to listen to you, especially you know, especially if there's a handful of y'all who are you know upset about your fees, upset about the amount of money that's being taken out of your accounts. They it should be well worth it to them to look at reducing those fees. So what uh, what types of fees would would come from a four hundred one k? Well, you're going to have you can call uh, them whatever you want, yeah. but it's all money. Uh, management fees within each of the funds. There will be a fee. Sometimes those are split out separately. There is also an administrative fee because somebody is handling all the paperwork, setting up the websites, uh, managing all the flow of funds. Sometimes those two fees are combined, so you have to kind of dig down in the paperwork to find out. Sometimes there is is an annual charge per account. Um, and as Ryder mentioned, uh, often employers will cover that, but sometimes they pass that on to employees. So all of that really adds up, which means if you have pretty high fees, and I've seen them 2 to 2.5%, then you have to earn an awful lot over and, and above that amount just to see your account grow. All right. So if someone's listening this morning, has a 401k and thinks to themselves, gosh, I really have never checked that closely into it. It what, should be disclosed to you. It should all be out there. Now, it may yeah. be in very tiny print. You may have to look for it, um, but do. It's worth your effort. And would HR be a place to start in the company? If, uh, if no. No. No, they don't know what they're looking at. Okay. So if you're, if you, where would you go to find well, it? They would have, well, they would have the plan documents. Well, They'd be able to help you get the plan yeah, documents. Documents, which but may have a fee schedule in it. Your administrator, whoever is administrating it, um, either they're giving you paper or they're pointing you to a website that's more common these days, and you should be able to go on that website and uh, look at that information and read it. All right. Uh, we are uh, nearing the end of the hour, but still time to work in a call. If you have a personal finance question or a question regarding the SECURE Act this morning, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 In addition to the SECURE Act and its changes for individuals, there are some new options for employers. How can small business change what they offer their full and part-time employees by way of retirement plans? Uh, so one interesting change 
change has been that you can now it's it's easier now to set up a, what's called a multiple employer 401k plan and this has been really complicated before because 401ks are very highly customizable but very sensitive to to the to how the to how the rules work around them and so it's you know that's why you generally just see it for an individual company because that company is responsible for making sure it is in compliance for making for encouraging its workers to participate etc um, and it's been complicated to do a multiple employer plan because you know if one company messes it up you know it ruins it for everybody uh, so they have eased the rules on that and how, and how they determine when when a 401k is kind of in violation and that's made it that everyone's kind of anticipating it's made it easier to pave the way for uh, for multiple employers to share a 401k which is great because uh, 401ks like I said they're very expensive to administer uh, but they're highly highly customizable so if you have a bunch of similar businesses whose employees are going to participate in a similar way, then they can kind of band together. They can share those administration costs uh, and provide a better retirement plan for their uh, own employees. You know, it's just connected to the conversation we had about fees, um, because if yeah. you have several together, then they have more leverage to ask for discounting of fees. Absolutely. Especially with smaller employers, just because there's just so many people involved and so much compliance involved that there's set Setting up a 401k is going to cost a good bit of money. And if you can, the more folks you can spread that over, the better it's going to be for everybody. So what would an example be of maybe some businesses that might think about combining and having a multi-employer um, 401k? Well, there's several already out there doing it. But um, as Ryder mentioned, it's been so uh, burdensome to comply that people have run the other direction. But I think you're going to see that start to happen more and more and probably working through organizations of, um, you know, if you're in some sort of organization of like um, type businesses, even though my understanding is that they don't necessarily have to be that alike, yeah, that that you can just join together. Well, uh, you know, here's an example that I was just thinking of. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of businesses uh, doing, you know, they're very fairly small businesses doing uh, newspapers and magazines in the state of Mississippi, and uh, so they are all, you know, most of them at least are members of, you know, a state wide body, the Mississippi Press Association or Mississippi Independent Publishers Association. And so an organization like the Press Association or the Independent Publishers Association could band together and say, hey, look, you know, each of, you know, you know, our member companies have between two and 20 employees. No one of them on their own could offer a 401k in an affordable manner. But, you know, total, we have a thousand employees amongst all of us. So we could design a 401k plan that allows everyone to participate and it shares that cost. So, I think things where you have kind of a, a tightly knit association and just the the members of the association uh, just are generally smaller businesses. I think that could be a really, uh, really effective way to do it. All righty. That is going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast. Just search for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Ryder Taff, and Joseph Martin, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next at 10, it's in legal terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. 
Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at Trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 